Let me pray over our message this morning. Father, as we open Your Word, let Your Word speak to us. Let Your Spirit use the words in a mighty way. Lord, each of us come with our particular joys or sorrows or maybe both today. Regardless, I do believe that this message applies to each one that's in the room. No matter what their age, no matter what their culture, uh, this message applies to each of us. Whether we know You or whether we don't know You. Whether we think we know You. Father, I ask that You do Your work in us this morning so that we leave different than when we walked in. Amen. Sit back, buckle up, and get ready. John 10. Turn there if you will. Uh, I started coaching again. Took last summer off. I coached soccer. I've always tried to coach my kids' teams. I learned real quickly. Uh, coaching at a higher level down in Los Angeles, I came and started coaching little kids. And little kids will eat you up, man. I'm just telling you right now. They will eat you up and spit you out if you do not know what you're doing. And uh, I had a harsh reality of not trying to actually compete versus when I had my daisy pickers sitting there going like this and looking at clouds and birds, how to rejoice in all of that um, while still trying to train them in soccer. So... Uh, yesterday was our first practice, and Thursday night here, uh, we have a great connection with AYSO. AYSO uh, had a town hall meeting in this room. I had my team meeting over there, and got to meet my new players, or some of them. And so as we were doing that, we went home, and my daughter said, Hey, this one particular gal, we, uh, we've had her on our team before. I said, Really? I think you're confusing her with somebody else. She said, No, Dad, I guarantee you. We've had this gal, Savannah, on our team. And so, yesterday morning, we're getting ready to go to our first practice. And I said, Jericho, I don't think we've ever had this gal on our team. She goes, Dad, I'll bet you. <laughs> well, how much you want to bet, Jericho? I'll bet you $20, Dad. All right? It's a bet. Now, before you go too far and say, what are you teaching your kids, Pastor? I'll just let you know that I've got a great retirement plan in the works right now because they can't pay up. But when they're older, oh, I'm going to be sitting in Fat City, folks, because when I'm like 70 years old and I don't have any retirement left and, and I just say, you know, uh, kids, old dad here, he won a few bets with you back in the day. And when you accrue that interest over a long period of time, no, I'm not going to do that. Not too badly. Anyway, so yesterday we got to the field and I said, Hey, Jericho, why don't, we, why don't we settle this right now? Since you don't believe she was on our, or I don't believe she was on our team, but you believe it. Let's go straight to the source. Why don't we? And so here was Savannah sitting in her car. She hadn't gotten out yet. And, and I knocked on the window and they rolled the window down. And I said, so Savannah, Jericho and I have a bet. She thinks you played on one of my teams before. Savannah just looked at me. She felt all the pressure in the world on her shoulders. 
And then she said three glorious words. No, I haven't. (laughs) And Jericho still refused to believe. Have you ever been there? You went right to the source and they say, nope. And she you're wrong. You have played for us. I know it, Dad. I'm like, honey, she just... So this morning, my question to you is, do you believe? Do you believe in who Jesus is? And if you still struggle with that, what if He was here this morning and you could walk up to Him and you could ask Him specifically, are you who you say you are? Are you the Son of God? Are you truly Messiah? Are you able to do all that you say that you can do? How can I really believe this? Because there's those among us that would take that bet, right? We, we have taken that bet. And there are those among us probably this morning that say, no, I'm not taking that bet. You know what's fascinating about that is that all of us can transport back to Jerusalem, to the colonnade of Solomon, right now, and we fill that crowd. This morning's message is titled, And Many Believed. And the question that I have for you today is this, why do people believe in Jesus? That's what you and I have to wrestle with this morning. Why do people believe in Jesus? Why do you or don't you believe in Jesus? Let's look back at those who were in this moment this morning in John 10, and let's examine this concept that's the very last verse verse 42 it says and many believed by the way we've seen that five times now from john and as we're going through this book of john we see that john says he stipulates i wrote this so that you would what believe i wrote this so that you would believe and men have been trying to discount the gospels been trying to discount scripture for forever but they've never come up with any empirical evidence that says that this is false all they have to do is come up with empirical evidence and it's all over folks but you know what they've been trying for two thousand years and they haven't been able to do it some would say well john wrote his gospel so much later That just doesn't even make sense. Why wouldn't he write it with the others? And his gospel is so much different, he doesn't even record the same stories. There's a reason. Because what had risen up within Palestine and the surrounding countries, the surrounding areas, was doubt and false teaching. And even back in that time, in that day, they wanted to take the idea of who Jesus says He is, and they wanted to distort it and twist it. And so John sees what's happening, and he being one who walked with Christ, talked with Christ, writes this gospel so that what? You may fully believe in exactly who Jesus says he is. He wrote this to clarify the issue. So this morning, we get to dive back into history, and we get to clarify exactly who Jesus says he is. Not who we want to take bets on, but who Jesus says he is. So we're going to start in verses 22, and we're going to read through verse 24 to start. Are you ready? Here we go. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, let's examine what we just read. There's been a two-month gap now since the last story dealing with the blind man. 
to now what John is going to write about. Remember, John's writing a story. He's taking different accounts of the life of Jesus and he's injecting them into this story. So we left where we were and now John kind of hyper jumps two months to the next point in Jesus' life that he wants to bring up. Jesus is in Solomon's colonnade. This was a, a level of, um, of columns and a portico that was grand. It was on a grand scale and it covered the entire eastern span of Temple Mount. He's moved out of the area of the treasury. He's moved out of the area where only the Jews would be. And he's moved more into a common area. And this is where he focuses on teaching now. Now, what is the Feast of Dedication? The Feast of Dedication was a remembrance of the rededication of the temple after Antichius Epiphanes was defeated by the Maccabees and the temple was cleansed. If you know a little bit of history, for the five history buffs in the room, uh, uh, Alexander the Great comes in and conquers, the Romans follow him, and Palestine at that time was under Roman rule. And Herod was creating all these great edifices. And, and during that early time, there was a particular general who went in, Antichius Epiphanes, and he desecrated the temple. He actually killed um, that which was unclean on the temple altar to desecrate it just to get back at the Jews. And so what had happened is the Maccabean revolt happens, and they come and they win, and they reclaim Temple Mount, and then they cleanse Temple Mount. And for the Jews, this was, this was big. This was huge. This is like 4th of July for Americans, all right? And so they make, Jews make a feast about everything, folks. All right, so they made a big feast and a, and a big uh, ceremony event. And that's what is happening now. It's a heightened time. It's a time of ceremony. There's a lot of people there. And it's an encouraging time. So Jesus finds himself back at the temple and he's teaching. Now the Jews beg a question of him again. What's the question? Are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Is Jesus truly Messiah, the Christ, God's Son? And I would say that as we look at his response, some were prepared for his answer and others weren't. And I pose the same question to you. Are you ready for his answer today? Because he's going to answer the question right now. I'm not going to answer the question. There isn't going to be any of my opinion. You're going to hear it directly from Christ. So this morning, when we look at this idea of many believed, there were those that believed and there were those that don't believe. Even at the end of this time, with Jesus, face to face, this isn't me speaking, these are His words. This is what He says about Himself. And this is fascinating. So kind of transport yourself. You're in the midst of columns. Jesus is speaking. And you ask Him, come on. Really? Why don't you just tell us? Stop talking in riddles. Stop being unclear. Are you the Christ? Well, let's solve that this morning. Or let's let Christ solve it. Let's look at the next set of verses, shall we? 25 through 30. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are what? One. 
He starts out by saying directly, I told you. Remember, there's a question, right? Are you who you say you are? Are you the Christ? Remember, John writes this so that you would believe. So he's taking these conversations. He's taking these moments with Jesus where people stick it to him. Let's get down to the nitty gritty, right? And he says, I told you. I've told you multiple times who I am. But you're not listening. For some of us this morning, you've heard these words already. And yet you still may be asking that question. Yeah, but are you really? Reminds me of a conversation I had standing outside Savannah's car door yesterday. Nope. Never played for you. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. You just don't know. You don't remember it. Come on, I know you have. Let it go, would you? But some of us, including these people, some of these people, just won't let go. And by the way, that's the key to all of this. What is it we have to let go so that we can see the truth clearly and win the ultimate bet, so to speak? He says, I told you, you do not believe. Jesus has already spoken, and yet so many remain unconvinced. Many of us today sit here with Jesus having explained clearly who He is. What our response should be in light of who He is is something to be wrestled with this morning. Are we so unlike this crowd? If we can't believe what He says, maybe we will believe His works. Right? So yesterday, Jericho is standing there and she won't even take the testimony of Savannah. So I'm, now what I have to do is I have to go back to the computer and show her every roster since we started coaching. I'm just going to say, honey, the evidence is there. It's all right there, black and white. And you can ask her if she believes after that. All right? You can ask her if she believes. No, don't talk to her about this or she won't speak to me for a month. The only, I have an ul- ulterior il- illustration if she was in the room this morning. So uh, since she's not in here, we're going with this one. So Jesus says this, if you don't believe my word, believe my works. Do you know anybody else that can see a life change through their own power? Like I've done, like I've demonstrated through the power of the Father. No. Let me ask this morning, right now. Are those in this room who have seen the transformation of Jesus Christ in your life and have seen the power of Him working in your life, would you be willing to share that with others if they won't believe Christ's message? Maybe they'll believe a changed life. His works. Have any of you come to believe in Jesus Christ because of His work in, through, or around you? That's powerful. So if I don't believe a person simply off who they say they are, Jesus understands that about us. And so He says, fine, you you don't want to trust what I'm saying about myself. Look at my works. Look at what I've done. And we would think that would be enough to convince us, right? 
does his work through the, his son to transform lives and change lives. And the empirical evidence is there. Do we see it and believe it? Or is there something that we refuse to let go of? Just like some in this crowd that refuse to believe. He goes on and he says something about sheep here. Right? Let's read it again. He says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's talk just real briefly about what that means and the magnitude of that statement. How many of you want to win the lottery? Raise your hand. All right, you other people that don't want to win the lottery, I need to talk with you afterwards and find out what you are, what secret you have. I've won a spiritual lottery. You know, even, even if I won, what, $53 million, I really could find a way to spend $53 million pretty quickly. Couldn't you? Yeah. I'd buy a sports team, and then I would hire the best players in Major League Baseball, let them come and stink it up really bad, and then go broke trying to get a championship. Oh, no, that's Artie Moreno. That's right. And then I'd be broke. But I'd still have Jesus. Folks, eternally, I am rich because of these words. Now I'm going to give you what He gave you. And I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this. You ready? You think you believe in Jesus Christ. Well, He just gave you a way for you to figure out if you do believe. Do you know His voice? Do you know the voice of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that you can put feet to that is when you finally believe. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. And none of us, none of us can experience eternal life until God, God calls us into that. Until as, as 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 4 talks about that veil is lifted from our eyes. It's, it's a metaphor. That the, a veil is lifted from our eyes. And what seemed foolishness at one point now seems that which we would be willing to die for. Something happens when God reveals to you truly who He is. And when that happens, when that effectual calling happens, you know the voice of Jesus. You may not always hear it. We were at the ball game the other night, if you haven't caught on. And everybody was trying to talk to me from ten, five seats over, even right next to me. And they didn't catch the idea that I just wanted to be in my own world and pout. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't, wasn't doing that. But I couldn't hear anything anybody was saying to me. Even Sam. Sam's like yelling things to everybody and to me. And I'm like, you know... I have no idea what you said to me, bro. 
I couldn't hear anything. Why? Because of all the noise around me. Sometimes that's why we don't hear Jesus' voice. We know His voice. But sometimes if you're in the middle of the pack of the sheep or the herd of the sheep, and everybody's going off and bleeding, sometimes it's kind of hard to hear the shepherd's voice every once in a while. If you're places that you shouldn't be, and you've strayed too far from the shepherd, then sometimes it's hard to hear the voice. But what's fascinating is if you study sheep and shepherds, shepherds know where you are if you stray, and they go after you until you hear the voice. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Because that's one of the indicators that you believe. Another one. He says this. It's the very next statement. They follow. If you truly are a believer, then you're the sheep in the story. Then Jesus says what? You'll know my voice. And what will you do next? You'll follow. I know that we don't always follow. Newsflash. Your pastor doesn't always follow every time I hear the voice of Christ because I still struggle with my own selfishness. I still struggle with my own sin. But on the whole, do I try to follow Him? Yes. I don't purposefully try to let other things come between His desire for me and the world's desire for me. Do you want to know if you believe? Number one, do you hear His voice? Number two, do you follow it? Being His sheep has its privileges. You have eternal life, eternal security. No lottery can ever, ever replace that. They will never perish. Destruction cannot come to you in its highest form. Our faith and security is granted by the Father and realized through the Son. There's no one greater than the Father, Jesus says. Therefore, who can challenge Him so as to take anyone from the protective hands of the Father? Have you ever caught a lizard or maybe a small bird or, um, I don't know, anything? And, but it's small, and so you put it in your hands. You know, most parents... You know, you have to deal with this when your kids get like four or five. Daddy, if you love me, you'll catch that lizard and give him to me. Mom, take care of the kids. You love them, catch the lizard. And then you got it, you know, like the frog. Just the other night we saw a frog at Mount Hermon. And everybody wanted to catch the frog. What did the frog do? You know, we won't say it. We just all know what the frog does. When you put the frog in the hand... Something excretes from a certain part of the frog's anatomy. And then what do you do once that happens? Even though you've got them nice and secure right here, what do you do? Ah! And the frog and everything goes flying. Did you get the stuff off your hands because you let go of the frog? No, it's still... <laughs> Lord, your face is like, oh, please don't. Can't you get a better illustration? No, because this is so visceral. I want you to think about this. Because sometimes we get to the point where we say, my behavior stinks so bad, God cannot love me. Did you hear the words, nobody can take him from, take us from his hands? You know, every time I sin, it's kind of like the frog mm -mm -mm -mm, in the hands of God. 
And no matter how much I mess up, He doesn't let go. That's security. That's security. Now you have a whole new picture of eternal security. It's amazing I have a job. This is the promise that God gives to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus then states that He and the Father are one. Oh boy, here we go. He does not act by His own will. Jesus claims to be the same as God. You still don't know who He is? He just laid it on the table. Big time. They said, tell us plainly. He now says it plainly. And how do we know this? By the way, I just want to let you know that this is, this is key to sharing with people who don't believe that Jesus truly is God. All right? On the 18th of August, we'll be talking about Islam. We'll have a special guest speaker. One of the things that separates Christianity from Islam is that they see Jesus as just a prophet, just like Muhammad. He is not Allah. He is not God. They believe in one God. They're monotheistic like us. And it gets a little complicated because we have three that we see as God. But we can work through that and we can understand that. And really the issue is people walked up to Jesus and said, who are you? And he says, what? I am God. Oh, well, let's kill you because you're not supposed to say that. Wait a minute. Hang on. Have you looked at my works? Because nobody's able to do this unless they are God. That's where we're heading. So when you get in these conversations with individuals that just want to say that Jesus is just a man, say, you know what? I'm not qualified to argue that with you or to have that discussion or have that debate. But I would just encourage you to go to John 10, look in verses 22 through 42, because Jesus says about himself who he is. You want to know who Jesus says he is? He says it plainly. Well, but he could have been speaking in a metaphor again, and and we don't know really exactly, but we do. Let's continue to read. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Verse 31. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not good... For a good work, or is it not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy? Because you, being a man, do we have to fast forward 2,000 years? This argument's still out there, folks. You, being a man, make yourself what? God. Now, this is what I like to share with people that come knocking on my door that don't necessarily believe this. I'm not qualified to tell you who Jesus is. I can tell you what he's done in my life. I can tell you who I believe he is. But we know how those debates go. Well, that's your opinion. Fine, I got it. And I actually had this conversation with somebody who did knock on my door once. And I said, you know what? And I I think I've shared this with you. I was pretty skanked out that morning. I hadn't shaved. I hadn't brushed my teeth. And I had, uh, you know, just some gym shorts on. And um, uh, one of those mesh shirts from the 80s. No, I didn't. Didn't have that. I don't own one of those. Um, no, I just had like a t-shirt on and it was, oh, come on, we got to move on quick because now you're visualizing something. I was really looking bad. Let me just put it at that point. And so I didn't let on that I was a pastor. 
And we're having this conversation. And I told him, I said, hey, you know what? I just decided, I got fed up with the whole religion thing, and I decided to make up my own religion. Let's say I, I decided that. You'd be cool with that, right? No, you can't do that. I said, well, why not? Why can't I make up my, you know, these people over here, I kind of like that. This over here, I kind of like that. The New Agers got some good stuff. I like that. And, and uh, you know, trees are good. So, you know, Mother Earth, that's all good too. No, you can't do that. Well, why can't I do that? Well, because there's one God and, and you know. I said, really? So Charles Taze Russell came along in 1852 and he decided he didn't like some components of what the Bible said, so he kind of made your religion. What? You know who Charles Taze... Oh, yeah, I know who Charles Taze Russell is. And so you just told me you can't just make up your own religion because you don't like what one sounds like. But it sounds like that's what you just did. Well, but, you know, Jesus, uh, I said, well, hang on a second, because I don't claim to be any kind of an expert. So let's look at exactly what Jesus said. And would you say that you and I are not authorities? We're just people that talk about this stuff. And would you say that somebody who was an authority in that time, in that day, if we could talk to him personally, you would take it on their word? Oh, sure. That sounds great. Boom. John 10. I and the Father are one. Well, but that's, that's probably like a metaphor. Well, oh. Wait a second, you said you would trust in the experts of the day. Because the experts in the day literally went and picked up rocks to kill him. And when he saw that they were going to do that, he says, for what reason are you going to do this? And they said, because you make yourself what? God. Can I come back when uh, I have another person with me that uh, could maybe answer that question? You come back anytime you want. I'd love to. And you can come visit me at Concord Bible Church. <laughs> love to have you over there anytime. Literally, this idea, it says, my, my translation says they picked up stones. Where they were, there wouldn't have been stones. They don't have stones just sitting there. And so what was close by to the temple was a quarry. That's how they built it. And so they literally, the, the word can transpose into the word carry. And so the idea is that they went over to where the quarry was to get nice sized rocks to kill him with. And they were so angered that they went all the way to the quarry, grabbed rocks, and huffed a giant rock all the way back to where Jesus was to throw at him. And Jesus says, why are you doing this? Now, here's where it gets even more interesting that I want us to look at very carefully. And then we're going to move at light speed. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus then answers them, and he says this, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? What? That sounds a little hinky, right? Did your hinky meter peak right there? Should have. Let's keep going, and we'll come back to this. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came... And Scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of Him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They were going to stone Him. This is the fifth time, by the way, in this gospel that they have picked up stones to kill Jesus. 
It's amazing that there's something about believing in Jesus that either causes you to embrace it or causes you to pick up a stone. What is it that would make us get to a point like this? What is it that we're unwilling to let go of? What is it about this decision of faith that costs so much and will make us and turn us into something we never think we could be? Let me help you out here this morning. Number one, have we established that Jesus said He's God? Do you see that? Unequivocally. The next problem we have is Jesus now responds to them and says, why are you going to do this? Doesn't Scripture say that you are God's? By the way, this whole section, folks, is great for having conversation with people of various religions that are confused. Hold John 10 in your head. Because there are whole theologies that are out there. I'm not going to name them. There are whole theologies, religions, that take this verse and twist it so that they believe that they will be gods. Does any? Don't name them. But am I making this up? Do you know of any that believe that? Okay, a few of you have heard this. That sounds great, right? And doesn't it sound like Jesus is saying that? Jesus said it! We are going to be gods, or they were gods. Turn to Psalm 82, please. 82.6. We have to look at this so that we know, because this is so controversial. I'll just tell you for those that are into Bible study, when you see something like this, you got to dig. you got to get into it. And so we've got to look ourselves at exactly what's going on here. Psalm 82.6. And it's not just verse 6. Verse 6 is what he's quoting. But it's the verses around us that help us understand the verse that he's quoting and why he is quoting it. So Jesus has now just tipped the scales and he's made it seem like what? Well, you, you know, you're going to stone me because I claim to be God. Well, you better just pick up rocks and hit yourselves because Scripture says you're God too. Doesn't it seem like that's what he's saying? This is so controversial, we've got to figure out exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's quoting Scripture. Whenever Jesus does this, he has a purpose behind it. His attackers are religious authorities. And they respond to the authority. They're not going to respond to his authority. We already know that. He knows that they will respond to the authority of Scripture. So he uses Scripture to diffuse the situation, just like he used it against Satan. Psalm 82 is this idea. Look at the first verse in verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council, in the midst of the what? God's he holds in judgment. Then it says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And it goes on. And so let's go to verse six. He said, I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Now, he didn't say that part when he was talking to his attackers. So what does this mean? Is Scripture calling mere men gods? This word gods is the word Elohim. It's one of the titles that's used for God, like Adonai, like, um, on and on and on. 
I don't have time to go through all those. But there's tons of names that help us understand the different attributes of who God is and how he operates. Elohim is one, and it speaks to his power. This word, in, in several places in the Old Testament, is used for a judge or a magistrate. All right? Signifying that their power is given to them from God on high. Working through them. And so the way to translate it in English is this way. Now, I've seen somebody in my studies this past week say, no, that argument doesn't work because in the New Testament, the Greek is theos. Well, here's your problem. There's no word for Elohim, as far as I know, being a, a non-Greek student, for theos or, or in, in, in Greek. It's just theos. So it's, it's a problem with translation. So that really isn't an issue. The issue is Elohim... And it's talking about the power that God gives you. Now, without getting too far into all that, because we'll all get confused, what is really being stated here in Psalm 82? Continue to read. He says in verse 7, Nevertheless, like men, you shall die. Does God die? No. God took His place in the divine council. What's being painted here, remember Psalms is poetic scripture, is this idea that God rules over our rulers. And he holds them accountable. And so the word that was used here was to show somebody who has power over us, but they are a man. So when Jesus quotes this, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the religious leaders who have power over the Jews and have power over him and authority to what? To kill him according to the law. And so what is he doing? He's using a psalm that holds those that would use their power wickedly and God holds them accountable in Psalm 82. So do you see what's actually happening? Jesus knows they would know exactly what this meant. He's calling them out. And he's saying, you wicked people who think you hold the authority to act on God's behalf, for which work of God are you really going to stone me and kill me? Does that make sense, folks? If you have questions about it, talk to me afterwards and, and we can hit it again. But I just want you to be very, very clear that Jesus was not saying that people are God. And, and, and let me help clarify it one more time. In Philippians, we see that it says, I can do all things because I have the strength. Because I'm God, right? That's what it says. I can do all things through Christ. Romans 11.33 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever given counsel to God? That God should give back to Him. God created us. God is not created. There is a separation here. Our theme verse for the year, second or theme verses, 2 Peter chapter 1. We get to become divine partakers through His what? His divine power. Not our divine power. We're partakers. Hopefully that clears up that passage for you. So moving into the last part. Jesus uses Scripture to face His accusers. And then He says something very interesting. Let me help you out. Because there's a lot of people that don't believe in the Old Testament. They think it's been eradicated. Jesus just used the Old Testament. And what does he say? 
Scriptures cannot be what? Broken. There are many people today that will tell you that Scripture is outdated. I remember watching an interview with um, Piers Morgan on CNN. Um, I won't name the theologian, but he was interviewing a theologian. Oh, no, I will name it. Uh, Mark Driscoll on the issue of homosexuality. And Piers literally said, don't you think it's time to update the Bible and bring it into the 21st century? It's so archaic. We laugh, but I'm telling you, there are pastors in pulpits that say the same thing. And yet, Jesus, Jesus, just verified the entire Old Testament and said it's valid and it's authoritative and it's good for use. So let me ask you this as we finish up. He claims to be God. He says He is God. The people understand that. We know that we are not gods, but Jesus is holding them accountable. And then He says, well, it goes on. Let's look at verse 39 as we wrap up. And they sought to arrest Him, but He escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there He remained. And many came to Him and said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was what? was true. And verse 42 says it all. And many believed Him there. This is His message. It's a message that's accredited by His works. So if you could stand and face Jesus like Jericho faced Savannah yesterday and say, are you really the Son of God? Did, I know you played on one of my dad's teams. And what would Jesus say? Jesus would say, yep, I and the Father are one. I uh, just can't believe that. No, even Savannah, even if you say, I just can't believe it. Fine. Then just look at the works. Because the works accredit my message. And my friends, it is a message of hope. It is a message of transformation. It is a message of change. It is a message of love. It is a message of security. He is the good shepherd. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But He has come to give you life and life to the what? To the full. If you are His sheep, you know His voice. And you follow. Do you know His voice this morning? And have you followed Him? Let's close in prayer this morning. And as we do so, I'm going to encourage us to really contemplate because this is what Jesus did. So we're still back 2,000 years in Palestine, if you will. And Jesus proposes the question to you. You asked me a question. I told you. Don't worry. There's not a mass exodus. These guys are just getting ready for the next part. Jesus says this, I told you who I am. And my works verify who I am. And I am the good shepherd. And those who are my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And nobody can take them from the blessed eternal life I have waiting for them. So He makes them decide right then and right there. What are you going to believe? 
And so I follow suit with Jesus Christ this morning. And I ask you this. What do you believe? Right where you are, sitting there, ask yourself that question. Do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? And if He is, He changes your life. Or what is it that you're unwilling to let go of? Is it a rock? Is it a rock that keeps you from making that choice? That rock has many different names. Pride, money, self-interest, guilt. All of which pale and destroy who we are as opposed to life to the full. Let's close in prayer. Father, this morning, as we hear these words from Your Son, they're life-changing words and they describe who He is. And they give us great hope and great cause to contemplate and to think. But not just to think in rhetorical terms, Lord. It is purposeful so that we might experience Your grace and Your mercy. It is there for the taking. It is there as a gift. It is there for our life. And so this morning, let us not just be uh, simple students and those that are listening to gather knowledge, but let us be those that answer the call. And this morning, there may be a voice that is speaking to a heart in this room right now. Your Spirit may be speaking these exact words that Jesus proposed to a crowd 2,000 years ago, and even now He is proposing to us in this room. Will we listen to that voice? Lord, I pray that Your Spirit right now would reveal to those that need to know You that He would lift the veil from their faces and that they would wholeheartedly drop the rock and believe. Whether it's because Jesus said He is who He is or whether it's because of His works. I trust in You and your work, Lord. As we continue, keep your eyes closed. I'm just going to ask a personal question. I know many of us are struggling. Many of us are challenged. But I know many of us have found hope in Jesus Christ in the midst of those struggles. If this morning that voice is speaking to you, and you're still unsure about what to do with that and how do I follow Christ? How do I become one of those sheep? I'm the only one looking right now. I can see everybody's eyes. They're all closed. And you're saying, Pastor, I need to know what that means to be His sheep. I need to know what it means to follow. I need to know what it means to seek His voice. Just look up at me so I'll know. So that I know that you're looking for that. You're seeking that. You want that. And that I can pray for you. And if you desire for me to counsel with you, I would be more than happy. So you can look up at me or raise your hand if that is you this morning. Is that voice coming through? Is that voice speaking to you? Something that's saying to your heart, come, follow. If that's you this morning, thank you. Thank you. Then the voice has spoken to you. The voice of God has spoken to you. And that is tremendous. It is your time. It is your time. Let me pray for our offering. And we'll close this morning. Lord, part of our worship in saying thank You. 
Thank you for calling us into your flock, for taking care of us, for leading us, for guiding us, is to worship you. And part of our worship, Lord, is to give from what you give to us. We do so joyfully. We do so expectantly with the understanding that you will use this to your glory and to bless and to see the kingdom increased. Thank you, Lord. Continue to walk with us. Continue to speak to us. And for those that that voice is speaking to, be unrelenting so that they seek it out. So that they seek it out. To your glory, Father. Amen.